Good morning. We welcome you to our worship service this morning. It is good to be gathered in the Lord's house to worship Him. And we're so thankful for those of you that are worshiping online. We are glad that you are gathered with us also. We have several announcements this morning as we begin. Um, remember your baby bottle blessings. Those bottles are out in the foyer, and you can pick those up and put your change or your checks in them. The money in those goes to the Pregnancy Help Center here in town, and it is one of their primary fundraising efforts during the year. Lots of different things happening this summer. On Sunday nights, our, our gathering time together is different each night. Following Vacation Bible School, we'll have Vacation Bible School tonight. The next Sunday night will be Father's Day. Then the next night will be game night, and we'll gather in the sanctuary for a brief time of worship, and then we will have all kinds of games available and have you all bring games and, and just a good time of fellowship as a church. And then on the 4th of July, we will be, ha well, it's the 3rd of July. The 4th is on a Monday, and on July 3rd, we're going to gather together as a church following the morning worship. We're going to have a picnic, and we'll have... Um, games and things. Uh, we will have the hamburgers and hot dogs, and you all will bring your side dishes, and we will have a dessert contest. I'm quite looking forward to that. And uh, so all of that will be happening on July the 4th, and then there will be no evening service um, that evening or on Father's Day evening. want to remind you that Upward Basketball Camp is coming up July 25th through the 29th, and then there will be a cheerleading clinic on July 30th. You can register online for the basketball camp. The sign-ups for the cheerleading clinic are here at the church, um, and so you'll need to take care of that. There is a fall men's conference through Snow Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters. That sign-up is happening now, but the conference is September 16th through the 18th. There is a, a website, Snowbird website, that you need to go to. You can check the bulletin, or you can use your church center app. Go there uh, on that link, let the church know that you're going, and then register yourself for that. But we, we here at the church do need to know that you're going, but you have to register yourself. And then deacons, just a reminder, deacons meeting is from 4.30 to 5 tonight, so that people can get ready for Vacation Bible School. And then, of course, you'll see a lot of purple people today. Today starts Vacation Bible School. It's here. We've been planning for months, and Vacation Bible School starts tonight. Uh, it is from 6 to 8.30 p.m. Children, fifth grade and under, and then an adult class. And so there's several things I want to remind you of. I do want to say that we have quite a few babies in one signed up, and we need a third adult in that classroom, so I'm still looking for somebody who will love on babies in ones this week. We could also use an additional adult in recreation, both for children and preschool. So if, if, if you've not signed up and, and you might be willing to help with those, you can talk to me after the service. You need to make sure that uh, if you're attending Vacation Bible School that you've already registered. You can do that on the church website or through the Church Center app. 
the adult class is going to be great. So you'll, if you're not leading in Vacation Bible School, you'll want to come and be a part of that. And then the final thing that I would ask you, you know, Vacation Bible School is, is not just for the kids. It is a church-wide event. And I want to remind you that if you do nothing else for Vacation Bible School, I ask that you be in prayer, that you be in prayer for the workers, that you be in prayer for the children, and that you be in prayer for the families. And you know, this is the forecast is like 90s with 100 degree heat index this week. So pray for, um, we're gonna move everything inside because of that, but it, that just makes things harder. So pray that no air conditioners go out. I mean, I'm serious, pray, pray for all that stuff. Pray that the air conditioners work well. Pray that patience, that, that each of us have patience in spite of the heat. Um, that the kids, you know, they're going to be tired if they've played outside. So just be in prayer for all of those things. And cover our Vacation Bible School in prayer. Because it's an important time in the life of our church. there I thought there was a video but stand with us if you're able to stand worship I say it all the time worship is not a spectator sport it is a participation idol. so let's let the Lord know how much we love him today he reigns and he will reign forever
Don't we serve a wonderful God? I woke up this morning just thinking about all the things that are going on in the world, and I thought, but God, you're in control. Amen to that. Aren't we glad that God is in control? And all we ever need to do when we're concerned or worried is to remember that we're not in charge. But we have a Heavenly Father who is. A God who reigns forever. And we need to give glory to Him. Amen. Glory to God. and so thankful for you. Father, you give glory and you give power where it's needed. And it's needed, Lord, to be given to you. And Lord, not because that's just who you are, 
but because, Lord, we need your love and we need your glory and we need your power in this world, this trying time that we have. And, Lord, we thank you so much for your love that you show on us, Lord. We just want to sing praises to you this morning, Lord, to let you know that we are so grateful and we are so thankful for your love and the power that is in that love. That you loved us so much that you gave your only son to die for a way to us, make a way to you that we could have eternal life. And Lord, you've given it to us. Lord, today, if there's someone here that don't know you, we want this whole service to be directed in a way that they would realize that you are love and you are powerful and you deserve the praises. And we just thank you, Lord, for the love that we can feel as we sing today, Lord. Let this bless you, Lord. Let it be a praise offering to you, Lord, of the love that you have shown for us, Lord. And we thank you for the power of your love. Peace. 
nothing like the love of God. Amen? Today we're going to continue our series on the building blocks of a godly home. Uh, is this on? Y'all hear me? All right. On conflict, the day's building block is conflict resolution. Um, but before I get into that, I just want to say that uh, we appreciate your prayers this week as we were at middle school fuge camp. We had a great week of worship and ministry and Bible study and service working at Wayside Christian Mission in their homeless shelter. And our, our students did a, a wonderful job. And uh, you would be proud, and you should be proud of the students and just the compliments they received from the ministry site, from the FUGE staff, and we just had a great week uh, together. So thank you for your prayers and your support uh, for this past week. So I just wanted to, to say that this morning, uh, just say thank you, because it's great to be part of a church who supports missions and who supports youth who go on missions. So thank you for, for your love, your support, your prayers, and encouragement. But this morning, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about the subject of conflict resolution. Uh, and last week I heard after the message on constructive communication that there were some interesting conversations that occurred among spouses and among families. And, and I want to make one clarification before I get into conflict resolution. It's about the you and I statements. I just want to clarify. When you use I statements, you have to use the word you. You can't make an, a, an I statement without using the word you. The, the idea of the I statement is to diffuse the situation. It's not to ignite the situation. And so your I statement should not be destructive. Saying, I think you are worthless does no good for the conversation. <laughs> I think you are stupid does no good for the conversation. That is not productive. Instead you say, I wish you would make wiser choices so I could trust you more. That is a much more productive statement than you're stupid or you're worthless or what in the heck were you thinking, okay? That is much more productive. So I just want to clear the air because there were some questions about the issue of you statements and I statements. So hopefully that gives you some clarification there. But this morning, we're going to turn our attention to conflict resolution. You know, in our lives, conflict is inevitable. We cannot escape conflict. And conflict is the result of being at odds with someone else over what you think, over what you want, or over what you do. And we have conflict because we are different people. We have different perspectives. We have different backgrounds. We want different things. And conflict is in every area of life. It's in politics. Do I need to say more? It's in schools. It's in the workplace. It's in sports. And it's even in churches, and it's even in homes and marriages. I don't know of a marriage or a family that doesn't have conflict. If, you have a, if you're a part of a home that doesn't have conflict, please see me after the service and let me know what your secret is to not having conflict in your home, because I want to apply that to my home. But, but there are issues that cause conflict in the home. It might be money. Money's a big issue that causes conflict. Bills and spending, it may be your schedule that causes conflict. It may be parenting styles and discipline that causes conflict. Maybe it's the fact that expectations aren't met or responsibilities aren't taken care of. Maybe it's relatives such as in-laws that cause conflict. Maybe it's your entertainment choices. Whoever has control of the remote in your home has, causes conflict. 
Or maybe it's something as simple as the toothpaste tube. Do you squeeze from the top or the bottom? That can cause conflict. Or maybe it's how you put your toilet paper on the toilet paper roll can cause conflict. Do you roll from the top or roll from the bottom? You laugh, but those things actually cause conflicts in marriages. Being early versus being late. <laughs> My dad believed and lived by, if you're not five minutes early, you're late. And my mom, we'd always get there 20 minutes early to church or anywhere else. And my mom would say, why in the world are we here so early? And my dad would say, I didn't want to be late. He was never late to anything. And if anyone made him late, he was not a very happy person. The thermostat in the home can cause conflict. 68 degrees versus 78 degrees. That is a huge, huge difference. But you know, when you look at Scripture from Genesis to Revelation... There is conflict throughout. In fact, before you even get to the story in the Garden of Eden, did you know there was conflict in heaven? Lucifer, who was created the most beautiful of all angels, who was tapped by God to be the, the lead worship angel. He was in charge of worship. He got the idea that he wanted to be greater than God. And that causes conflict with God when you want to be greater than him. And God threw him out of heaven and one-third of all the angels with him. And then you get to Genesis chapter 3 and there's conflict with Adam and Eve. And then you keep reading and there's Cain and Abel and Noah and his sons. And there's Abraham and Sarah and Joseph and his brothers and Jacob and Esau. And then Moses and Aaron and David and Saul and, and David's family. And I could go on and on and on and, and list all the conflicts that are in Scripture. And as you continue to read Scripture, you will come upon conflict after conflict after conflict. But just because conflict is unavoidable, just because conflict is part of life, doesn't mean it has to be destructive. But because it has the potential to be destructive, we need to understand how to deal with conflict in the right way. How to deal with conflict biblically. A newspaper columnist and minister, George Crane, he tells the story of a wife who came into his office and she was full of hatred toward her husband. And she told him this, I don't only want to get rid of him, I want to get even. Before I divorce him, I want to hurt him as much as he has hurt me. Dr. Crane came up with a wise solution. He told her this, he said, go home and act as if you really love your husband. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every decent trait that he has. Go out of your way to be kind and considered and be as generous as possible and, and spare no efforts to please him and to enjoy him. Make him believe you love him. And after you've convinced him of your undying love and you cannot live without him, drop the bomb. Tell him you're getting a divorce and that will really hurt him. With revenge in her eyes, she was excited. She smiled and said, beautiful, will he ever be surprised? She couldn't wait to get home and follow the advice of Dr. Crane. But when she didn't return to his office after some time, he called her and he asked her, Are you ready to go through with that divorce? Divorce, she said, never. I discovered I really do love him. You see, her actions had changed her feelings. And through her actions, she saved her marriage. You see, conflict handled the right way will strengthen your marriage and will strengthen your home. Instead of destroying it. And if you want to build a godly home, 
You need to understand how to handle conflict biblically. And as I share from God's word this morning, I want you to to look at your relationships with those inside your home. And I want you to see if according to God's word, you're resolving conflict according to how God has prescribed to us in Scripture. So the first thing I want to share is to resolve conflict biblically. The first thing we must do is we must understand the origin of conflict. We must understand the origin of conflict. Before we seek to resolve conflict, we have to understand its origin. Why does it exist? The origin of conflict is simple. It is selfishness and it is pride. I mentioned earlier, conflict begins when we don't get what we want. It is the mindset that my wants and my desires are much more important than anything else. And we say, if I don't get my way... If I don't get what I want, then you better watch out because I'm going to do what it takes to make sure that I get what I want. That is selfishness. That is pride. And Scripture makes it very clear that that, uh, the root of all sin is pride. The root of all sin is desiring what we want above what God wants and above what other people want. You see, pride and selfishness are an attitude of the heart. And Scripture makes it very clear that the origin of conflict is a heart that is not right with God. Proverbs 10.12 says, Conflict is stirred up by a hating heart. It says this, Hatred stirs up conflicts, but love covers all wrongs. Hatred in any heart is going to cause conflict. Having a brother, I know siblings say to each other often enough, I hate you. I don't like you. That is conflict. And there were times growing up when I didn't like my brother and I did things to him that I probably shouldn't have done to him, like slamming his fingers in doors and things of that nature. But I just didn't like him in the moment. And our boys, there are times when they haven't gotten along, believe it or not, as perfect as you think they may be. Aaron was four and Luke was two and... They were playing with each other, and all of a sudden, Aaron picks up a bicycle helmet and hits Luke upside the head with it. Why? I have no idea. I was sitting right there in the recliner watching this unfold and said, oh my goodness, that was conflict. And just last night, I love this sermon series because inevitably, every Saturday before the message, God gives me an illustration for the sermon. (laughs) And last night did not disappoint Just last night, our boys had the argument over who is the greatest NBA player. And then it was who is the greatest by legacy or who's the greatest by skill. And then it was who's the greatest spur of all time. And this went on and on for about 10 or 15 minutes. And Joni and I were just sitting back watching. Now, there was loud talking. There were no punches thrown. There was no wrestling. There was no breaking of anything. It was just yelling. And by the way, just because you yell louder doesn't mean you win the argument. It's like when someone doesn't understand you, what do you do? You yell louder. That doesn't mean they understand you more by talking louder. But they eventually finished their conversation. I'm not sure who won. But they finished their conversation. They went to their rooms. And I said to Joni, just think. All this started over dinner with Aaron saying that vegetables aren't good for you. That conversation somehow led into a conversation about who's the greatest NBA player. How it got there, I have no clue. But it went downhill. But why do we have conflict? Because we have hatred in our hearts. 
Proverbs 15, 18 says, conflict is stirred up by a hot-tempered heart. It says, a hot-tempered man stirs up conflict, but a man slow to anger calms strife. It's talking about someone who flies off the handle. There's no prayer. There's no pause. You know, I love my dad, but one of his weaknesses was he was hot-tempered. It didn't take much for my dad to lose his temper. And my brother and I often helped him lose his temper quickly. On occasion, we'd go out to help him wash the car or mow the grass or something like that. And, and if we didn't do it the way he exactly wanted it done, he would let us know about it. And I would run back to mom and say, Dad is yelling at us. And she would get on to him and then she would say this, If you're going to treat them like that, then I'm not making them help you again. And we were like, yes. <laughs> but then he would apologize. But you know what? Hot-tempered people cause conflict. Instead of reacting immediately, sometimes we need to pause. And often we need to pray. Proverbs 16, 28 says, Conflict is stirred up by a perverse heart. It says a perverse person stirs up conflict. What's a perverse person? It's someone who lacks integrity. Someone who is defined by lies. It's someone who twists the truth for their own purpose or to fulfill an ungodly agenda. It's someone who distorts facts or only tells a partial truth through deceit and lies. And often this tactic is carried out to confuse others or gain control of the situation. Something my parents couldn't stand more than anything else was being lied to. And I admitted I couldn't lie and I still can't lie today. Because when I tried to lie to my mom, I always gave myself away. And I was mad at myself because I always gave myself away. But my brother, he was a different story. He could lie, 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 lie. And one time, I'll never forget, I was probably 10, he was probably seven, 6 or 7, he broke the antenna off the TV. It's one of those old antennas that actually went on the TV. Somehow he broke it off. And of course, I went and told mom what happened. And she told him this, you are going to tell your dad what you did, and I'm going to let him punish you when he gets home. I couldn't wait till dad got home. Mom told dad what happened. He took my brother into the bedroom and I had a front row seat. And he simply asked this question, did you break the antenna? All my brother had to say was, yes, I broke the antenna. He said no and I couldn't believe it. He got 10 licks with a belt. My dad asked him again. He said no, he got 10 more licks. This went on for about three or four more times. I think he wound up with a total of 50 licks just because he wouldn't answer the question truthfully. All he had to say was, yes, I broke the antenna. But he didn't. And my dad finally stopped and said, I can't do this anymore. So no matter how many times he would have asked my brother that simple question, he would have continued to answer no. Sometimes it pays to tell the truth. In fact, I would say all the time it pays to tell the truth. Because lies do nothing but stir up conflict. Proverbs 29, 22 says conflict is stirred up by an angry heart. An angry person stirs up conflict and a, a hot-tempered person commits many sins. You know, angry words and actions take just a second to say or do, but the consequences of those words and actions can last a lifetime. That's why it's so important, as James said, to be quick to listen and slow to speak and know when to speak and not to speak. 
Proverbs 28, 25 says conflict is stirred up by a greedy heart. It says the greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. Someone who is greedy is someone who wants it their way. Someone who is greedy is someone who wants to fulfill the desires of the flesh. And when you're greedy and you want to fulfill the desires of the flesh, it's going to cause conflict. James 4, 1 and 2 says, What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are war within you? There is no doubt that conflict begins with a prideful heart. Conflict begins with a selfish heart. Conflict begins with a sinful heart. And someone said our differences are the spark of conflict. Our desires are the gasoline of conflict. And destruction is the fire of our conflict. Conflict has consequences. And it starts with pride and selfishness. And the problem is not that conflict occurs. Conflict is going to happen, but what matters is how we handle our conflict, how we handle our quarrels, how we handle our disagreements, and how we handle conflict is determined by the condition of our heart. The second thing I want to say is we must weigh the options of dealing with conflict. We must weigh the options of dealing with conflict. As we grow up, we learn about how to deal with conflict by watching others. Children often learn about how to deal with conflict by watching their parents or, or grandparents. That's how they learn to deal with conflict. And because this is what we know, when we encounter conflict, we emulate the responses of those that we have been around. And when you enter marriage or a relationship, all of us develop a style with dealing with conflict. And there are different ways of handling conflict. In fact... Uh, marriage experts, marriage counselors, they have, they have come up with five ways that we deal with conflict. The first way is withdraw. Some people withdraw. They just don't want to deal with it. They want to act like it doesn't exist. And their selfishness causes them to clam up. And they physically withdraw from the environment. And they don't speak to anyone. They ignore the issue. And they try to insulate their self. This way is the least helpful and it hinders the relationship from growing and developing and the marriage suffers. Another way is yielding. They protect themselves by giving in to the other person's selfishness because they don't want to risk confrontation. They give in just to go along. They don't feel like arguing. But when we yield, that can breed resentment because the other person's goals are satisfied and met and our needs are sacrificed. And oftentimes, this is viewed as an act of love and concern, but in reality, the marriage is what suffers. Then there's winning. This is where we look after our own interests that we want control, and our goal is to win at all costs. And we're more interested in winning than preserving the relationship. And all we want to do is hear our spouse say, you are so right. We may want to win because we want to maintain our self-esteem because we want to win maybe because we're confusing our wants with our needs. But when you do win, you do achieve your goal, but you've sacrificed the relationship. You've won a hollow victory. You've won the battle and you've lost the war because your marriage is going to suffer considerably. Then there's compromising. Give a little to get a little. Someone described this as your selfishness reaches an impasse with your spouse's selfishness. And when we compromise, some values are compromised, decisions are watered down, and neither person is really satisfied with the result, and both people 
lose. And the other choice is resolve. That's two people who are willing to spend sufficient time and energy working out their differences, and both are satisfied with the solution that is reached. And a situation, an attitude, a behavior is changed by open and direct communication. And when we choose resolve, both people win, and the marriage wins. You see, in conflict, we have a choice. We can either choose to escape the conflict by withdrawing, by yielding, by compromising. We can choose to attack by having to win. Or we can choose to resolve the conflict by desiring to make real peace. And even though there are several options in how to deal with conflict, there's only one right choice, and that choice is to resolve. You know, last night after Aaron and Luke finished their animated discussion and they went to their room, Joni said to me, the best way to resolve conflict is make sure everyone has a room to go to. <laughs> you know, in some cases that's true. But I'm not sure going separate ways is what God had in mind when he said we need to resolve conflict. You know, when a conflict is resolved, the damage is minimal, and the marriage and the home are actually strengthened. And the best way to resolve conflict is if both individuals involved in the conflict are submitted to God. James 4, 6 through 8 says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. How do we resolve conflict? By making sure that our hearts are submitted to God. Because when our hearts are submitted to God, James says that we will be able to resist the devil. We'll be able to resist the temptation of winning. We will put our selfishness aside. You know, last week, one of the main points of the message was that if you want your home to be defined by constructive and godly communication, then your heart needs to be right with God as the words come from your heart. But just like our hearts need to be right with God for our communication to be godly, our heart has to be right with God if we want to resolve conflict biblically. The only way our heart can be right with God is if we completely submit ourselves to Him. Now, this is easier said than done. Because as Paul writes in Galatians 5, 13 to 26, there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. Turn to Galatians 5 with me, and let's, let's read through this passage. We have time. Galatians 5. Paul lays it out for us. If you want to resolve conflict, these principles that Paul talks about can be applied. Verse 13 of Galatians 5, he says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you'll be consumed by one another. I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The works of the flesh are obvious, sexual morality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, refers to conflict, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, 
factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar about which I tell you in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, we must follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. Paul makes it very clear there's a battle between the flesh and the Spirit. And in a conflict, the flesh wants nothing more than to get its way. The flesh wants nothing more than to destroy the other person in need. In verse 15, he says this. He says that we bite and devour one another. Watch out or you'll be consumed or destroyed by one another. What is happening in our culture? What is happening in our families? What's happening in our marriages? We are devouring and biting each other. Why? Because of selfishness and because of pride. And Paul makes it very clear that selfishness and pride is not of the Spirit. It's of the flesh. In verses 19 to 21, that list he gives, over half of those refer to conflict. Uh, hatred, strife, jealousy, anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy. All those things are references to conflict. So it's very clear that, that conflict can be fleshly. If we are not careful. Why? Because of selfishness and pride. If we walk in the flesh. If we walk in pride. If we walk in selfishness. That's what we will live by. You see the only way to overcome pride. The only way to resolve conflict is to walk in the spirit. By crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires and asking God to replace our selfishness with his selflessness and our pride with his humility. Verse 13 and 14 of Galatians 5, he says, You are called to freedom, brothers. Don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Guess what? In conflict, you have a choice as to how you want to deal with conflict. You can choose to deal with it in a fleshly way, in a worldly way, or you can choose to do it in a godly way. But then he says this, you have an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says if you walk in the Spirit, you will live by the Spirit. And when we live by the Spirit, we will demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, which is peace and patience and love and kindness and self-control. We'll desire to love one another and, and serve one another instead of discouraging each other and tearing each other up. And when we walk in the Spirit, instead of seeking to provoke and destroy each other, we should desire to be at peace with one another by resolving conflict in a way that honors God. When we walk in the Spirit, we should desire to reconcile and restore our relationship with others just like God reconciled and restored his relationship or our relationship with him. How did God restore our relationship with him? How did he reconcile us to himself? How did God make peace with us? He went with great lengths to do it by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And Jesus desires for us 
to do whatever it takes. Jesus desires for us to go to great lengths to make peace with others. So what if you have to admit that you're wrong and that your spouse is right? That takes pride. And guys, it's been said to, to a, a, the key to a healthy, and happily, a healthy and happy marriage is eight words. It's you telling your wife, I'm wrong, forgive me, and I love you. And guys, if we practice those eight words, it would take care of most of the conflict in the home. You see, it's not about winning. It's not about proving who is right or wrong. It's about preserving the relationship. And if you want to be submitted to God, and if you want to preserve the relationship, I just want to share with you some practical guidelines that you need to follow. You need to define the problem. You both have to make sure that you're trying to resolve the same issue. There's nothing worse than being in a conflict and someone talking about one issue and someone talking about another. You need to make sure you're trying to resolve the same issue. And you need to define areas of agreement and disagreement. If you can find common ground, it's much easier to resolve the conflict. You also need to admit your part in the conflict. Conflict is not caused by one person. There are two people involved in a conflict. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Take the, the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of somebody else's eye. And then he said, Judge not unless you be judged. We need to admit our part in the conflict if we want to resolve conflict. Don't say never or always. Be honest and say what you mean. Don't expect your spouse or your child to be able, to, or your parent to be able to read your mind. I've been married almost 22 years. I still can't read my wife's mind. And I'm sure many of you are in the same situation. You need to be kind. You know what being kind is? It's attacking the problem and not the person. And don't bring up past conflicts or problems. Don't make demands. Don't be defensive. Don't show disrespect. Don't become angry. And don't interrupt. Respect each other's right to speak and be open to their feelings and to their observations and to their suggestions. And select an appropriate time to discuss the conflict. The appropriate time is not necessarily in the heat of the moment. The appropriate time is not necessarily in the presence of others like kids. The appropriate time is not when there are other distractions around. Proverbs 15, 23 says, A person finds joy in giving an apt reply, and how good is a timely word. And finally, don't let the conflict fester. Take care of the conflict as soon as possible. Ephesians 4, 27, Paul said, Don't let the sun go down on your anger, Unless you want to give Satan a foothold. You see, the more you think about it, the more you let the conflict go, the more it festers and the angrier you may become. God's desire is for us to be at peace with all of those around us, not in conflict. Romans 12, 18, God said, Live at peace with everyone. And when we are at peace with everyone, we will be blessed by God. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers. They are called the sons of God. You see, when we desire to make peace, our lives demonstrate Christ. And James 3, 18 says, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. 
Someone defined peacemaking as applying the gospel and God's principles for problem solving to everyday life. If we apply the gospel, if we apply God's principles for, for problem solving to our conflicts to everyday life, we will be able to resolve all the conflicts that we have. And peacemaking occurs when anger and bitterness and greed and resentment give way to love and mercy and grace and strength and forgiveness and wisdom. And if you want to resolve conflict, if you want to preserve your marriage, if you want to preserve your relationship with your spouse and your children, if you want peace in your home and you want God to bless your home, submit your heart and your life to God and commit to walking in the Spirit and not the flesh. The third thing is we must understand the other person's perspective of the conflict. We have to see the other side of the conflict. Remember, before you gave your life to Christ, you and I were in conflict with God. We were an enemy of God. But God took the initiative. God extended us peace. God extended reconciliation to us. Colossians 1, 21 and 22, Paul writes, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. God is the one who offered us a solution to our sin problem through what Jesus did for us on the cross. God didn't have to offer us a solution, but God chose to. Why? Because Scripture makes it very clear that God loves us. In fact, 1 John talks about all the time how God is love, and we couldn't love unless God loved us first. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us us we didn't offer a solution to our sin problem God is the one who gave us the solution he chose to resolve our conflict with him even though we were the ones who offended him God did nothing to offend us but because of our pride and our selfishness and our sin we offended him but yet he's the one who reached out and extended us peace and reconciliation and restoration and forgiveness through the cross. And since we are to follow the example of Christ, we are to do the same thing for our family, for our spouse, for our children, for our parents, even our siblings and others. We are the ones who have to take the initiative to resolve the conflict by humbling ourselves and doing whatever it takes to restore the relationship. Isn't that what Paul said Jesus did in Philippians chapter 2? That he humbled himself, that he was obedient even unto death, even death on a cross. That's how much God desired for us to be reconciled with him and for our relationship with him to be restored. He was willing to give his own son. And we must take the initiative. We must desire to go to great lengths and do what it takes to offer peace and reconciliation and restore our relationship with others. We are never to go on the offensive. We are never to go on the attack. Why? Because if we go on the offensive, 
The other person will become defensive and then the battle has begun. Can you imagine if God would have went on the attack with us because of our sin problem? Can you, because we offended him instead of offering us a solution for our sin problem. We would be destroyed. We would be hopeless. But instead of going on the offensive, and before we seek to be understood, we need to try to understand the other person's perspective on the issue at hand. Philippians 2, 1 through 4 says this. It says, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. And then you can turn back to Galatians 5, 13 and 14. We just read this. He says, You are called to freedom. Only don't use this freedom as opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the entire law is filled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we are in the Spirit, if we have mercy, if we serve one another in love, then we and the person with whom we're in conflict with, we will focus on the same goal. And in conflict, there should be only one goal, and that goal should be resolution. As I mentioned earlier, it's not about winning. It's about resolving. And the only way to resolve a conflict, biblically, is by humbling ourselves, by laying down our pride, by looking out for the interest of others, was what Paul said in Philippians 2, 1 through 4. And in verse 4, when he uses the word, look out, it's the Greek word scopus. It means scope. It's the word we use for scope. It means to focus on something, like using a microscope or a telescope. And the greatest way that we can look out, the greatest way that we can focus on our spouse and our children is by loving them. And if you love your family, you will look out for their interests more than you look out for your own interest. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8 gives a great explanation of what godly love should and should not be. It says, love is patient, love is kind. That means we're to show genuine concern for each other. We're to build each other up through our words and actions. It says, love is not jealous or boastful. We're to seek praise for one another, not ourselves. We're to be selfless and not selfish. It says, love is not arrogant or rude. We are to treat each other with the utmost respect. It says, love does not insist on its own way. We need to genuinely listen to one another with the willingness to be wrong ourselves. We need to put each other first and each other's interest ahead of our own. We need to lay down our passions and our desires for those of our family. And we need to cherish our family more than we cherish ourselves. It goes on to say, love is not irritable or resentful, meaning Love never holds a grudge. Love never seeks revenge. It says love does not keep a record of wrongs, meaning love does not bring up the past. It says love does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in what is right. It means forgiving each other and always being willing to forgive. It says love bears all things, meaning we carry each other's struggles. We carry each other's burden. We seek to understand each other's differences. He says love believes all things, meaning love never loses trust, meaning you always believe in one another and always believe in God. 
says, love hopes all things, always looking for and expecting the best in each and every situation, knowing that your hope is in Christ, and He is a hope that never fails. He says, love endures all things, meaning our love never gives up, and we are committed to work and improve our relationship with each other and with God. And instead of focusing on our problems, we need to focus on the answer to our problems, Jesus Christ Himself. And then He and concludes in verse 8 with love never fails you see love is unending and we need to love one another with God's love with a love that is sacrificial with a love that is selfless with a love that is forgiving with a love that is unconditional with a love that is compassionate with a love that is eternal and this is the only way our homes and our marriages are going to grow and prosper this is the only way that we can resolve conflict This is the only way that your home is going to be what God desires for it to be. In conflict, you must not desire to win, but love must win. And when love wins, your marriage wins. When love wins, your family wins. And in conflict, we have to resist the temptation to focus on ourselves and our needs and instead focus on the needs of our spouse and our children. And when you seek to understand your spouse, when you seek to focus on the needs of your family, you will strengthen your marriage and you will strengthen your love for one another. Chuck McAllister said this, conflict will either result in intimacy or animosity. Conflict will either result in intimacy or animosity. In other words, conflict will either grow your relationship and grow your marriage or it will destroy your marriage and destroy your family. And by how you choose to handle conflict, you get to choose which one defines your marriage. And I want to challenge each one of us in here and listening online to choose intimacy, to choose love and not animosity. There's a little boy who was in a heated argument with his sister about who was going to get the last brownie. His mother overheard the loud discussion going on in the kitchen and she came in to resolve the conflict. And her two children were very distraught about who was going to get that last bite of dessert. And seeing the need to teach a deeper truth, the mom asked her children this question, what would Jesus do? The older sibling immediately answered, that's easy. Jesus would just break the brownie and make 5,000 more. (laughs) You see, when we have a conflict in our marriage, in our home, Maybe we need to ask ourselves that same question. What would Jesus do? Because whatever Jesus did, he brought glory and honor and praise to God the Father. And when we are involved in conflict, we need to ask ourselves, how can I resolve this conflict in such a way that it's going to bring glory and honor and praise to God? And I think if we were to ask ourselves that question in the midst of a conflict, I think we would understand the only choice is not winning. The only choice is not yielding. The only choice is not winning. I mean, is is not compromising or not yielding. The only choice is to resolve. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, it gives a great answer to this question of how we can resolve conflict in a way that brings glory and honor to God. It says, get rid of all bitterness Rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave 
you. As someone said, it's more rewarding to resolve a conflict than to dissolve a relationship. You see, the pursuit of resolution of marital conflict says to your spouse and your children, I love you so much that I'm going to stay here until this problem is taken care of. So instead of attacking, instead of escaping, godly marriages work things out. A godly marriage, a godly family will talk and pray and will refuse to let something go unresolved. Is conflict in marriage? Is conflict in the home unavoidable? Absolutely. It is going to happen. And we'll never be able to to eradicate conflict completely from our lives and from our homes. But what we can do is commit to resolve it biblically. And resolving conflict isn't going to happen on its own. Resolving conflict has to be an intentional choice by two people who decide to put their spouse and their family and their marriage above their own selfish selfish interests. And we need to intentionally choose to resolve conflict with a spirit of kindness, with a spirit of humility, with a spirit of compassion and love and not hostility or bitterness or anger by having a heart that is totally and completely surrendered to God. As we enter into our time of commitment, if you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to think about the conflicts you've had. Or maybe think about the conflicts you're currently having in your home. And I want you to ask yourself and think about these questions. Are you resolving your conflict in a biblical way? Are you resolving your conflict with a spirit of humility or a spirit of pride? Are you focused on your needs more than you are on the needs of your family? And are you resolving conflict in a way that brings glory and honor and praise to God? As we have this song of commitment, I want you to think about those questions. And maybe conflict in your home hasn't been resolved biblically. Maybe today you need to make a commitment to God and your family that from this point forward, we're going to resolve conflict in a biblical way by submitting ourselves to God. And we're going to to choose to resolve conflict. Maybe that's your family this morning. And maybe you just need to come to this altar and pray or, or pray where you are. If you've given your life to Christ, what I want you to understand this morning is that until you give your life to Christ, you are still in conflict with God. And God has done all He can do for you. He's done all he can do to make peace with you by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross to give his life for you so you can be reconciled with him and have peace with him. And this morning, I want to encourage you as your first step to make peace with God today by asking his son Jesus to come into your life. Or maybe you're here this morning, there are other decisions you need to make. Maybe baptism, maybe join our church, or maybe God's calling you to a specific ministry or mission Whatever God is calling you this morning, be obedient to Him and respond in a way that shows that you're submitted to Him. We're going to pray and then we're going to stand and sing. And if you need to talk to me or pray with me, I'll be down here at the front and be glad to talk to you or pray with you. But again, this altar is open. And maybe today God has shown you something in your life that you need to change so that you can resolve conflict in a way 
that honors him. Maybe you need to start being selfless instead of selfish and start demonstrating humility instead of pride. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning and just thank you for, Lord, for what you've done for us. And Father, Scripture makes it clear that we were an enemy of you. Father, before you chose to resolve our conflict with you, by offering your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so, Father, we could make peace with you. Father, thank you for extending us grace and mercy and love. And Father, I pray if there's someone here this morning who's never received Jesus into their lives, they would do that today. They would come to the point where they've seen that you've offered them the gift of salvation and today they would receive that gift and resolve that conflict they have with you this morning, Father. For those of us who've committed our lives to you, Father, I pray that we would allow you through your spirit to examine our lives. And Father, I pray that, Lord, that you would show us, Father, how what needs to change in our lives so we can resolve conflict in a way that's biblical, in a way that brings glory and honor and praise to you. Father, help us to understand the origin of conflict is pride and selfishness and and Father, maybe this morning we need to lay our pride and our selfishness aside and replace it, Father, with your selflessness and your humility. Father, maybe we've, tried, maybe we've tried to win conflicts or withdraw from conflicts or compromise conflicts or win conflicts. And Father, maybe today we see from your word that, that none of those options do anything to enhance our marriage. They only, do, only hinder our marriages and our families. And God, may we make a commitment today to, to resolve conflict, Father, in a way that honors you. And Father, may each of us this morning desire to submit our hearts to you and surrender our lives to you. Because Father, when we do that, we can live in a way that pleases you. Father, work in hearts and lives this morning. And Father, we just thank you for your presence in this place. And we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus. We ask all these things in your name. If you're here this morning and you need to come to this altar, now's your time to come. Let's stand as we sing.
thank you so much for being in your house. We thank you for being able to hear your word, dear Lord. We especially thank you for your son, for the sacrifice that he gave to free us, dear Lord. And dear Lord, we just uh, thank you so much. And dear Lord, we just ask that you bless these tithes and offering, dear Lord, that it may continue to glorify you, dear Lord, and, and just grow your kingdom. In your son's precious name we pray. Stop. 
Thank you, VBS music team. They'll be leading our VBS music throughout the week. And in a minute, we're going to have a prayer time for our vacation Bible school. But just want to mention a couple of things before we have that. If you have that Connect card in front of you and you have a prayer request you want us to know about, or if you're a guest and want us to give you information, we encourage you to do that. And you can give that to me on your way out. I want to just keep the 1% more in front of you. Uh, so far, I think the balance is down to a little over $55,000. So uh, that's incredible that we've only got 55000 left. And uh, right now, it's still going through October. And if God is still leading you to give or if you've committed to give and you haven't given it all yet, there's still plenty of time uh, to do that. I want to remind our high school students and uh, parents that are going to Philadelphia uh, for our mission trip at the end of June, we're having a brief meeting right after the service. We'll meet over here on the piano side. I have some important information to share with you about our trip uh, to Philadelphia. At this time, Bob Schaffens, Bob Schaffens is going to come and, and close our service in prayer, and he's going to pray for Vacation Bible School. And what we want to do is we want to commission our va Vacation Bible School workers because this week, Red House Baptist Church will be a mission field as we will have... Uh, kids and families from our community who have no church home will have kids who are part of our church who have not given their life to Christ. And this is a great opportunity for, as the song said, for God to write his name on their heart. And so be in prayer for our Vacation Bible School this week. This is an important evangelistic and outreach tool, outreach ministry for our church. And it takes a lot of people to make Vacation Bible School work. And I just want to say to each one of you who's working this week, uh, thank you for your desire to serve. Thank you for your heart. Uh, for children, and for teaching uh, Jesus uh, to children. Uh, they say that by the age of 18, 75% of those who receive Christ will have received Christ. So what that shows is if, if we don't do it now, that many of these kids will never have the opportunity after they leave home or leave the church uh, to receive Christ. So this is a very important age for us to share Christ with them. So be in prayer this week for Linda and her VBS team and for all these VBS workers and for these kids to be open and receptive uh, to the gospel. So if you are, Bob, you can come on up. If you are a vacation Bible, if you're working in vacation Bible school in any capacity, would you please stand right now? And Bob's going to pray over you. I don't, if you're in the kitchen, if you're security, if you're music, teaching. All right. So Bob, would you... Bob's also going to dismiss in our service. So after he's done praying, uh, you'll be dismissed. But Bob's going to pray for our vacation Bible school and uh, dismiss us in prayer. Go ahead, Bob. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and for the gifts you have given to us and caused us to use for your glory through vacation Bible school. Heavenly Father, help us to dedicate our hearts to a time of personal relationship with you and to hear what you desire of us as we prepare for Vacation Bible School. Lord Jesus, we pray that your Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us through this week of Vacation Bible School. Lord Jesus, thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to be our helper. Today we pray for our fellow servants as they spend time in personal conversation with you. Give them your plan for Vacation Bible School and your words for the children. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we lift our love to you. Thank you for first loving us. We pray that you will help us as we show that love to your children 
during vacation Bible school. Lord, it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.